audit announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Inferior. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy right here, right now, I get to talk to a guy I've been chasing for such a long time to get on this show. I'm very excited. I think we've got a hell of a lot in common. Ladies and gentlemen, you may remember him from ECW. He is the one. He is the only. He is devious. Don E. Allen, how are you, bro? I'm doing good, Carl. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, my friend. It's really awesome. uh, exciting to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Talk to you about your life, your career, all the things that you've accomplished in life. And and Don, the first question, as per usual, on this show is, when you are a young man, before you got into the wrestling business, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Uh, it's pretty much my earliest memory um that and uh and and music i mean it's always been those two things for me since i was three four years old uh, i remember back that far actually and people tell me even before that i i was responding to those things on tv but i was uh, i grew up northeast uh, united states so uh television was wwf tv you get the extra w back then and that was uh that was Vince McMahon's dad's promotion. And uh, those were the days of uh, uh, Bruno Sammartino, you know, who was, who was my first, probably my first wrestling hero, uh, followed by uh, guys like Fred Blassie, people like that, you know, old, old school gorilla monsoon when he had the beard. I mean, this is when I was, uh, you know, almost a toddler and, uh, once I saw it, I, I was done. I couldn't take my eyes off it. And uh, my parents kept waiting for me to outgrow it. And I never did. So there you go. <laughs> the same story rings true for a lot of people. I know my mother Ouch. was waiting for me to uh, grow out of it. And I never did. Uh, <laughs> um, and then so, when I started, actually, I'm, I mean, I'm skipping ahead too far. Sure. But, you know, you can only imagine their joy when I actually, you know, started <laughs> physically doing it and you know, coming home with with body parts hanging off of me, but, um, (laughs) well, let's dig into that, you know? So um, how did you get into the wrestling business or find your way into it, uh, during that time? Um, I I was a late comer. First of all, I hate to talk about age, uh, but I was, well, let's just say I was well into my twenties and had gotten a little bit away from it. Um, concurrent all the way through with the wrestling was music. Uh, and I started playing uh, professionally when I was still in high school, um, so age 17 or so, and I was already out work, playing in bars and uh, been doing that all the way through. So they were they were dual paths I was on. And um, for a while after high school, it was all music. And but I always I was going to shows. I was going to shows when I couldn't Philly. Um, not WWF. I was going to the NWA, which has started appearing uh, up in the Northeast in the mid in the mid to late 80s, which was a thrill because that was uh, I'm skipping around. But 
uh, what what really got me, I loved wrestling that I saw on TV, but it was all I knew. And then uh, at some point, we started to see wrestling from down south. Uh, late at night, sometimes after midnight, one, two in the morning, you would catch on, on a really bad UHF station, which was this was before cable. It was, you know, you had to like hold the antenna to see it, that kind of thing. It was on top of the TV. Uh, but championship wrestling from Florida. And uh, my mind just exploded because I always took wrestling so seriously. And I had friends and my parents and everybody else didn't. And a lot of that was because the type of wrestling that was available to me on TV as I was growing up was a little bit of a cartoonish version of it. Um, I mean, there were some serious athletes. Um, it was it was rough, but it was a lot of showmanship involved. That was the Northeast version of wrestling in the United States and, and the WWF version. Uh, the Southern version was much more like an athletic competition. And I just, I was just fascinated by it because it was still pro wrestling, but these guys were going at it as if it was amateur wrestling in a way there was a seriousness to it and everything from the way they, the way they punched to, to just their movements in the ring. And, and uh, uh, it just captivated me. So that's really where I, where I went in deep. And then through my twenties, I, I tried to find a way to get into the business. Uh, there was a wrestling radio show. Uh, that was um, run by a guy named Joel Goodhart, who ended up starting the first real Philadelphia-centric promotion, which was TWA, Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. Um, but before he had that, he had a wrestling radio show. I think he bought the hour every week on our local sports talk radio in Philly and uh, started listening to that, met him, went to shows. Um at the Civic Center and, and places where the NWA was was appearing, and he was bringing busloads of people to these shows, taking tours down south to see Jerry Lawler's promotion down in Memphis, things like that, um, which I, I didn't do. I didn't go that far, but I got involved a little bit and um, was still trying to find a way to get inside. Met a guy who was working on a... Uh, a TV show for a, another local promotion called NWF. And their big guy was a guy named DC Drake or Mad Dog Drake, who I later ended up working with. Uh, I didn't know who he was. I really didn't know what independent wrestling was. There really wasn't a lot of it uh, in our area up in the Northeast at that time, or at least I wasn't made aware of it. But I started to realize that there was this whole like indie subculture going on that was starting to develop. And at the same time, I, the gym that I was going to and working out at, I met a guy um, who wrestled as Rock and Rebel. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on him because he, uh, he ended up doing some, some, uh, some not nice things in, in, in real life uh, later on. But at the time, he was a local guy to where I lived, met him at my gym. And um, he started telling me that he was training at the Monster Factory, which was, Larry Sharp's famous uh, training school in South Jersey. And uh, Bam Bam Bigelow came out of there and um, uh, names are starting to escape me, but uh, the Bulldogs trained there, uh, the, uh, not Bulldogs, the Pitbulls 
Gary and Anthony, who I later worked with a bunch in ECW, um, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Big Show, Paul White started yeah. training there. Um, and again, you look up Monster Factory, you can see that whole history there. Um, we went to visit. I actually spoke to Larry Sharp about possibly training there, not to wrestle. I still had no idea I was ever going to get in the ring and do that. I just wanted to get involved. Maybe I could re-announce, um, maybe even referee, right? I had no idea. I was not smart to, to any any of that at that point. And um, he, he and Rebel had some kind of argument. And so Rebel broke away and he goes, hey, I know another guy that's running the school. And we went down to the New Jersey Shore and I met a guy named Joey Mags. Joey Mags was a an, an enhancement guy for WWF and WCW and had worked around the South in different promotions. He was from Baltimore, Maryland. And, um, you know, he, he knew some people. I think he had worked with Bobby Eaton or maybe had been trained by him. I don't have that whole story, but um, he was in the business and he was running a school in the back of a gym in uh, North Wildwood, New Jersey. So I started going down to that gym. Um, I was working full-time during the day, was playing three or four nights a week in, in, in bars and clubs. And the nights I wasn't playing, I was driving two hours down to go in the ring for an hour and two hours back home. And I was doing that two, three times a week uh, to learn learn my basics down there. He closed up. We stopped going. Then Joel Goodhart opened his own school because he wanted to start his own promotion. And that was called Ringmasters, and that was in Northeast Philadelphia. And that was really the start. He was the he was the guy that actually allowed me to kind of get in the ring and take start taking bumps and and start working. And that's the short that's the short version. <laughs> right. That's very cool. Um... Yeah, I, I'd seen a whole bunch of, of names connected to you as far as uh, your training was concerned. And and I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, Jumping Joey Mags, uh, because I remember watching him when I uh, watched, used to watch WCW. Um, yeah. Just, do, do you have any personal stories about the man? No, I didn't really, other than when we were at the school, didn't hang out with him a lot. And there was nights we would go down there and he was nowhere to be found. And I would I would train with Rebel and and whoever else uh, showed up. I met some people there that again I ended up working with in Goodhart's promotion. Um, um, big guy named Crybaby Waldo, who was uh, a TWA guy, he's a big four hundred pound guy, and uh, he later did a gimmick as Big Slam Vader. Um, met some some people who were ex more ex Larry Sharp guys down there. Uh, I think that might have been the first time I I met uh, uh, the Pitbulls. Um, maybe uh, another local Philly guy who did a lot of work in the early ECW. A guy named Johnny Hotbody. Um, there were people in and out. I got to work one show as uh, as Rebels second i guess not quite manager but i would lead him to the ring i was waving at a, a rebel flag um and you know I, I got to be around the match but i was i was never physically involved at that point but i got to be on a couple of shows uh, with some some old school names nikolai volkov was around and david yeah. san martino and just again for me at that point i, I was i wasn't even green i was i just 
you know, I was like nothing. <laughs> <But> to, <laughs> to be in the locker room and meet these guys, I'm like, holy, you know, I was freaking out a little bit. Um, and um, Joey, Joey's funny. You know, he, I surprised him because he, he knew that I hadn't ever been in the ring before, but a couple of times. And I would do certain things, certain, certain cells and, and certain reactions. And I, I kind of already knew how to run the ropes, which is something that a lot of, a lot of new guys. And if you ever watched, even at the, the, the performance center now, when they're bringing in people that have never been in the ring before and they spend like weeks learning how to properly run the ropes, I kind of already had it right from the get-go. Um, and I think it was just from having watched wrestling for all those years from when I was a little kid, um, I kind of felt it, you know, before I got in the ring to do it. And it was much harder in the ring, but my instincts were already there from the selling standpoint. I wasn't a great athlete. I was never a great athlete. And anybody that <laughs> watched my <laughs> matches would probably be able to tell you that. But I could, I always had a good instinct for where to be and and, and how to sell. And, and if you can do that much, um, there's going to be a place for you because those, those are people that are that are needed, you know, in the business to put guys over and to put them over properly and, and to make them look strong. Because if your cell is not good, um, it, it, no matter how tough the guy is that you're working with, it, it can just look stupid. So um, so I remember him being surprised by that. So get that. Where'd you, where'd you get that from? You know, <laughs> um, and other than that. Um, yeah, I didn't hang out with him very much. You know, he, he showed us some stuff. I remember he was the first guy that showed me how to take, take the top rope and go over, you know, and not kill myself too badly. Uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. But, um, a lot of that training was really just done by the other boys that were there that had been more experienced than me and just showing yeah. me things. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess the, 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 the does get to a point where you, you finally get in the ring and perform on a, on a, on a live event in front of fans. Uh, do you remember the first occasion, the first match where you performed in front of an audience? Um, actually, the first, uh, the first match that I was in wrestling gear. Now, again, I'd been in the ring and I'd taken a bump or two uh, as, a, as like a manager type guy or, or a valet type guy. But um, the first match that I actually wrestled in in public was for Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, and I broke my leg. <laughs> it's, <a great laughs> match. it's great. It's a great. It's great. It it should have told me something right there because you know, um, I remember my parents saying, "Well, you're ready to you're ready to give this up now," and I'm like, "No," <laughs> as you know, as I had a full leg cast for for three months. Um, it was a battle royal, and I was stomping on somebody in the corner in the middle of you know. 20 some guys and came down in a, in a funky way. I guess I, I just was not, I was not being careful enough and uh, hyperextended my knee backwards and cracked my, cracked my uh, tibia there. And we were, we were, uh, it was about a hundred degrees and we're in the parking lot of a car dealership. There's a big crowd. Interesting. Steve Carino, one of, one of the best uh, and, a, and a buddy of mine, um, Steve Carino was in the crowd at this show, and we've talked about it over the years many times. That was one of his first shows, and uh, if you ever get to talk to him, you could ask him about it. Anyhow, um, so we're in the parking lot, and our dressing room was about three-quarters of a mile away 
all the way around this this group of buildings that we we you know walked all the way around and then we came down to the ring. People thought I was selling. They didn't realize I'd actually broken my leg and I literally hopped all the way from from the ring. First of all, I asked somebody to toss me out. I, I knew that much. I didn't just roll out. I said, you throw me out. My knee's blown out. And so somebody threw me out. And then I, I hopped right past Joel Goodhart, right past the promoter. And he's just shaking his head, looking at me. But he didn't realize how hurt I was. And, and I hopped all the way to the back. So um, yeah, that was a good one. That was my first live match in, in front of people. <laughs> what a great story. I mean, it's not it's not great to hear that you hurt yourself. No. But it's just so funny that you, you finally got to do it. Your parents never really wanted you to do it. And the first time you do it, you break your leg. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's on video. I never someday I gotta post that to uh, YouTube if anybody cares to see it, but it, it is on video actually. So excellent. I would like to see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so uh tri-state wrestling. Um, you know. Okay, you've had your debut, you broke your leg. There's going to be a time where you come back. Yep. Could you just tell me, you know, just a bunch of memories of, of your time uh, uh, working for, for Tri-State Wrestling? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the training place, uh, which was in the basement, of like sort of a dank, smelly, you know, moldy basement of a bodybuilding gym in, um, in Northeast Philadelphia. And... Um, you met met a lot of people there because a, a lot of people came in and out when when uh, Goodhart brought people in for the shows. I mean, Paul Orndorff and Austin Idol and um, just a number of people uh, like that that uh, were were in and out and that we saw and hung out with Buddy Landell, uh, people like that. And sometimes they would stay at Joel's at Joel's place, and we would visit up there too. We'd have meetings, and we'd walk in, and there's you know, there's Buddy Landell <laughs> just hanging out. So uh, that was that was kind of cool. The, you learn quickly to separate the fan from you know from your job, yes. but um, even now it's fun to look back at that and just think you know here these are guys I'm watching on TV with no thought in the world that that somebody you know my size would ever would ever get in the business of course the business was starting to shift this was right when smaller guys were starting to get more of a shot um in in the business but up to that point it was still like the land of giants you know and um so just to be able to, to hang out with these guys and then ultimately to to, to work with uh, with so many of them and um you know hall of famers and there's just so many, many crazy memories. I remember being in the locker room one time and I, I think I'm brushing my teeth, you know, before a match, just being a good guy. You know, we often will do that. Um, and next to me is Ivan Koloff shaving his head, you know, and like we're just, we're just right next to each other. And he's just, you know, he's one of my coworkers, right? He's on the card, but it's Ivan fucking Koloff, you know? And I, when I was, eight years old, I watched him on television and it was, it was surreal. And there was a lot of those moments working with Jimmy Snuka, um, you know, being in, in a, a couple of battle Royals and, and facing off with him in the corner and, you know, just, you're thinking, Oh, don't hurt him. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying to myself and, you know, and I'm choking him, but I'm, we're working, you know? And uh, I just remember, I remember being aggressive with them, but, you know, working light because you're 
you don't want to upset a guy. And uh, <laughs> and I just remember going, he made this noise like, huh, like what's it, what's it, this kid doing? You know, <laughs> but, but but he was cool. All, they were all with with rare exceptions. You know, they they took pretty good care of of, uh, of the young guys. And um, uh, again, I'm all over. I, you know, this could go on for hours, Carl, because there's just so <laughs> many stories. And the more I talk about it the more things filter in, but um, Goodhart ran some large shows. This is one of the reasons he went out of business because he, he spent a lot of money bringing guys in who to us wrestling fans were famous, you know, uh, like real hardcore fans, but didn't have wide appeal in say Philadelphia where he was running these shows. So he's bringing in Austin Idol and he's bringing in Jerry Lawler before Lawler was part of Raw and all of that. And uh, gosh, we did, we had Owen Harden on shows and, um, you know, Luna Vachon, which is a whole other chapter of my career there. Um, and uh, just people that, again, to us, were, were just giants in the industry, but we're a lot of Southern you know, Southern guys and didn't really, didn't really draw so much up here. And plus it cost them a ton, I think, to trans, trans them in, you know, the transport and fly them in and, and pay them for their work. So uh, ultimately it was, it was not a good business model for them, but being on the card with people like that, with Rick Rude and, and Manny Fernandez and Bigelow and um, you know, uh, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. I mean, I met all these people and was on these shows with them. Unbelievable. It's where I first met Sabu. Um, you know, and even now, whenever I see him, where I was like, oh, I remember when we were, you know, just in the, they put us in a battle royal. I mean, the <laughs> first time I met Sabu, he wasn't even featured on the show. He was, he was just a young guy like us. And, you know, we were in a battle royal together, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah the tremendous, uh, just a tremendous opportunity. And, and, Part of me is thinking, I don't deserve this. Why am I here? You know, except that I did whatever I was asked, and and uh, again, I put myself in the right place and in the right time. So I got lucky there. That's very cool. I love hearing about all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it's like it's it's so. How do I explain it? Like you just, I I don't know how to explain it. You know, you you have all these people yeah, I mean, it, seen it, on television. It's a and, to say it was a dream come true. It was. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I could, again, skip it around, but I, I clearly remember um, the, the very first show we ever did at the ECW Arena, which was then still called Viking Hall. Um, and um, we, there were a lot of, again, a lot of named guys there. And one of, one of the guys that was in was, uh, was Hawk, Road Warrior Hawk. Yeah. And I, days before that, I, I knew they were coming in. And I was having a conversation with Todd Gordon. And I said, oh, Todd, you know, I've, it's like I, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, I, you know, I had dreams of like being on a show with, with, with the Road Warriors, you know, I can't believe I'm actually going to be in the locker room with them. And at some point the day, the afternoon of the show, he came over to me and he goes, he goes, your dream just came true. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, they booked me to, to work with them. So <laughs> um, that was that was crazy. It's actually the first match ever. First match ever in the ECW arena was was myself and uh, Lloyd Anoa'i, who uh, Samoan uh, Warrior. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was us in a handicap against Hawk. I just watched it yesterday. 
Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, not not my greatest moment, but um, but yet it was. You know what I mean? Because it was it was uh, a minute and a half or two minutes of yeah. of uh, a pure joy for me to be able to to do that. Um, I and, had to go seek it out because as soon as I read that this match took place, I'm like, all right, I got to find this. Got to see what happened. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, with the the whole, I mean, it was our first time in there, and it, it, obviously the setup was not didn't look as professional as it ended up looking at that point. But it was still still a two camera shoot. So long as you've yeah. got a, a hard camera and a, and a roving camera, you've got a fighting chance. You know. I think so too. Uh, and the word yeah. I was looking for before was surreal. I couldn't think of it. Surreal was what I meant. Uh, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. It's a good word, yeah. Um, so in doing my research, Don, uh, please let me know if this is incorrect because sometimes the internet can be incorrect. But uh, mm -hmm. it states that on the 1st of April, 1991, uh, you were in Atlanta, Georgia, and you wrestled uh, for WCW. Uh, teaming with Lou Fabiano against the Steiner brothers. Is that true? That is not true. That is not okay. true. I, I did not work uh, ever for WCW. Uh, okay. I was on shows shows later with, with the Steiners, though I didn't, I never worked against them. Um, but when they were, when they were in ECW for the brief period that they were there, um, you know, I, I certainly met them and, and, of course. Uh, was on shows that they were on as well but no that is not true that's cool though. I, I wish i that probably would have been a center stage so that would have been yeah cool. yeah <laughs> yeah I, 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 this is what i found and again like i like to debunk these things that i'm like mm -hmm. that seems a little bit out of left field um but maybe it's true maybe there's a story there now we know it's not true so cool no problem yeah. <laughs> i'm going to debunk the, the big one right now if i may which is and it was done pretty sure as a rib um when i was in pro wrestling illustrated's uh top 500 you know the pwi 500 yeah. uh, i was ranked th three years in a row um number 500 the next year they moved me up to 499 <laughs> and the last year they moved me up to 498 so um it was quite a trajectory there but <laughs> you know they put in the little bio and they listed me as five foot ten which I wish that I was in <laughs> I mean, in my boots, I, I was like five, six. So, um, and sometimes I would meet people and they go, that's you. <laughs> I mean, I think um, I remember meeting, I, I don't think it was, I don't know if it was Meltzer. It might've been Wade Keller, somebody, you know, one of the, one of the sheet guys uh, yeah. in the locker room at the ECW arena. And, and I remember, you know, I met him and said hello. And he kind of like did a double take. And I'm almost certain it's because, you know, he never saw me in person, but he probably read that I was 5'10". And, <laughs> you know, and, and then he sees this this midget in front of him. Like, <laughs> I, did read, I did read that uh, online. It says that your, your build is 5'10 as well. So um... Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> um, we were five. Um, I mean, I'm in boots i was five six i'll leave it there uh, <laughs> fair enough bro um yeah. uh, another question i had here there's a switch from tri-state to his its successor which is obviously eastern championship wrestling when joel yep. sold it to todd do you recall yep. that situation uh and and, and how would you compare working for joel uh to to working for todd it, it was um the venues changed but Todd had been around 
uh, I didn't, I wasn't privy to all the business stuff. Um, but I had already been, you know, I obviously knew and had become friendly with all of the people that were surrounding Joel while that was, while TWA was going on. Todd was one of them. And uh, at first, you know, I only knew him as the, the guy from the Variety Club, which was the charity that he represented and that we did some appearances for. And um, we used to, Todd used to have us go to a summer camp. The Variety Club is for handicapped kids. Um, and they ran a, a big summer camp um, in the suburb and way out in the far suburbs of the Philadelphia area. And we went out and did uh, free shows for them. Um, a couple, two or three summers in a row, um, whatever guys we could get, you know, local guys. And a couple of guys came and they were, it was literally their tryout. Um, I remember um, at the time he was Damien Stone, you know, him as Guido, little Guido or, or Nunzio. <laughs> yeah. um, but the first time I met him was on one of those summer camp shows. And he came down from, from New York uh, with, and he worked with uh, Tommy Cairo who was another another guy that they were sort of trying it out. And they said, hey, well, you know, it's it's not a paid show. Um, it's a volunteer thing for the kids. But, you know, we set the ring up and we had good crowds and, uh, and it was a place to work. And those were some of the, the only shows I did back then where I was not totally doing the job thing, you know, because it was it was not for TV and it was it was a private thing. So we got a chance to, uh, you know, to, to show our stuff a little bit more so than we would at, at a paid show. Um, but uh, yeah, so I knew Todd as, as the charity guy. And then little by little, it started to become apparent that he was deeper in, more involved. And of course, uh, Bob Artis, uh, who you all know is our ring announcer, but he, he was um, involved to a degree, I think, on the business side as well. And his, uh, his wife, Lex, two of the, I don't know if they ever see these things, but just two of the best people on the planet and that I spent so much time with for a good 10 or 12 years. Um, and, you know, grateful for their friendship anyway. Um, so those guys were around and they were still around as, as a transition to be the Eastern championship wrestling. So for me, it, it wasn't that much different. The venues changed. We started running different places and, um, the guys who train me now, aside from Joey Mags, I also want to do shout outs. Uh, my other two uh, trainers and, and Rebel, uh, my other two trainers were Larry Winters, uh, who was a journeyman uh, wrestler who's from Philadelphia, but worked all over the place, worked in Calgary, worked AWA, um, and a guy named Ron Shaw, who was um, a WWF guy in the eighties, um, an enhancement guy, but they actually gave him, you know, they gave him a lot of work. He was a big guy. He was like six, six, um, two eighty five, something like that. So he was on TV quite a bit and you can, anybody can look him up and, and see what he was in, doing back then. Uh, so those two guys were Philly guys and they also, uh, were trainers of mine early on. Just wanted to shout them out. Larry's hey. gone, unfortunately, but, uh, Ron Shaw is still around. Okay, well, yeah, cool, bro. That's of course. So uh, it's nice that you know uh, to to shout them out and 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 Bob. Uh, I I've interviewed Bob, so I will I will link him this oh. interview when it goes out. I'm sure he'll oh, absolutely. I I in fact, I mean, it's it's it crim. It's a crime that you know that I I've been so out of touch with with those guys. We don't live that far apart, actually. And uh, I mean, I 
I know they're they're still uh, they're still around and and uh, involved in the community. But there was a time when smaller independent shows, a lot of the guys from ECW and TWA went on to run their own small promotions locally around the Philly area, and so he would invariably be. Um, at those shows too, either just as a, as a just come and check it out, or sometimes he was ring announcing at them. So we we still work together through a lot of the um, the two thousands. You know when I was working small shows uh, after the ECW thing ended, and uh, but it's been a while since I've seen them. So if you guys see this, I love you, and I I I have to call you and come visit. Okay, that's it. Good, um, good. I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Another uh, thing I wanted to ask you about here, because I love the name, uh, Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal ah. uh, with, with Herve Renesto. Renesto um, yeah. Please tell me a little bit about uh, the team there that you formed and, and you know any stories you'd like to share working with him. Um, we were put together. You know, it was, uh, I don't know if it was Todd that did that or it, it might have actually been, uh, I think, Paulie at that point, um, because I'd met Paulie on the TWA shows, but he didn't really start working with us until um, until we started doing TV tapings, which was uh, it was maybe March of '93, and um, and he was at the taping, and Terry Funk was there, and they were they were running the, the show in the back, it seemed, and uh, so I you know. We'd never like officially met, even though we had met. So, and you know, shook his hand. He goes, oh, "I've heard all. I've heard a lot about you." And I'm like, "Uh oh, <laughs> you know, I don't know what that <laughs> means." Um, you know, obviously they lifted the my E for Don E. Allen was was a straight lift from Paul E. Dangerously, and uh, there's been about a million E guys in the business since then. But <laughs> yeah, um, but I think I was one of the first after him, and um, you know, at that point. I had been for for Goodhart. I'd been mainly a manager, um, who also would get in the ring and work. But I was thought of as a manager, and Paulie and Todd didn't really have a place for me to do that. So I said, "Hey, man, just let me work. I'll you know I'll do whatever you want me to do." And so that's that's how I ended up doing all of those ECW arena and and spot shows, mainly you know working with with. Uh, guys higher up the the ladder that would that would uh, squash me essentially that was my you know that was my job and uh, I was proud to do it um but that's that was that was a sea change I had been the devious thing was not as much as a wrestler that was more as the as like the the pesky manager who would cheat right. you know on behalf of these guys and I managed this guy DC Drake who was a sort of an east northeast legend on the what indie circuit there was he he was a big big wheel on the indie circuit and he also ran some shows uh, as a promoter so he was well known and he was one of the first hardcore guys he, him and larry winters would you know they did a lot of a lot of double you know double color matches a lot of blading back in in, in that time and this was pre just just pre, you know, the big uh, HIV thing where people started getting a little squeamish so much about the the blading stuff. Um, but those guys, you know, went up and down the East Coast in armories and school gyms and wherever, you know, wherever 
wherever they could. And they were doing, you know, going up to the top of the gym bleachers and rolling down the bleachers and just doing the kind of crazy stuff that people weren't used to seeing up in the Northeast. Um, and, and, you know, throwing the trash cans at each other and dumping, you know, the concession stands on each other. It was, it was a taste of, of the Memphis thing, but brought up to the Northeast with a little bit, it was a little bit grittier up here. Um, and anyway, so I managed those guys, uh, Johnny Hotbody managed, and I was just like crazy, sneaky, you know, heel, acted a little weird, tried to get people to, you know, they didn't really hate me because I was, you know, as a little guy, they just liked making fun of me. So <laughs> people would shout, midget, midget, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we worked against, uh, I worked with Hotbodies as manager against Snooka a couple of times, which was a big thrill. And um, uh, trying to think of some other, oh, the Blackhearts, which is um, Gangrel, right? Yep. It's one of the Blackhearts, uh, Dave Heath and, and another guy named Tom Nash. And they were, they came up from Florida and I met them on the TWA shows and worked with them. And their manager was Luna, who was Dave's wife at the time. Right. And uh, Luna, <laughs> she's... <laughs> She uh, rocked my world in uh, in in the worst of ways. I mean, she she beat the crap out of me. And, and again, you know, it, it was an, it was an honor. But I had I had a couple of good couple of good tussles with her. Um, actually, before she beat me up, I actually helped her once. We had a, a Civic Center show for TWA. Civic Center was was a big facility in downtown Philadelphia near the University of Pennsylvania and those were shows that Goodhart ran where we had a couple thousand people which at the time was was a crazy crowd for an indie show and um and and just a, re a real respectable place to be for a show like that and uh, they brought in Medusa to work against Luna and part of my managing gig was I was co-managing Drake DC Drake with Nancy Sullivan with woman. And so yeah. that was another, I mean, sent, you know, sent from above, like what right did I have like a year or so into the business doing this with these people? It made absolutely no sense that, that I was doing that, but I proved that they could trust me. And, um, and, and you know, just, just what an honor, you know? So we were literally Nancy and I, went out there and interfered in the match and helped Luna beat uh, Medusa on that show. Right. So again, Hall of Famers that I got to work with for, for no good reason. I was just in the right place at the right time <laughs> and, and, you know, played my gimmick up pretty good. Um, but later we had matches against the Blackhearts where she just, I mean, she hit me so hard one night. It, she, she popped my eardrum on this side and and knock my jaw she hit me over here and popped the eardrum and knocked my jaw out of whack and to this day i, I had tmj from that um <laughs> but no complaints because uh, tracy's mother always used to say it's not ballet you know you you know what you're signing up for and and a lot of those guys and gals worked really really tight and and you know they would tell you they had no problem telling you they say hey you know we're right up on these people. The arena, it was like that too. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times in the back guys would come up and say, Oh, you know, sorry about that. But we, you know, people were right there. I had to work tight and I'm like, no apologies. <laughs> necessary. 
because you know, I sculpt <laughs> off to nurse my wounds. But that's 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 something that un, until you've done it, it's hard to describe. I've tried to describe it to people um, in in years past. Um, the understanding, you know, that you know you're going to go out there and and do what you're going to do, and you know it might hurt you, but you do it because that's what you have to do to do what you want to do and you don't you don't resent it and you don't resent the other guy i can think of maybe once or twice my whole career where i thought somebody was being like really like reckless beyond the point of needing to be um but even then you know you you come back and you say thank you and if you want to if you want to stick around you know, you just deal with that. You you wisen up a little bit and you protect yourself maybe a little more next time. But um, it's, and I'm no tough guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it was, that was not my thing. I'm, I'm not a tough guy on the street, but in, in the context of the wrestling ring, there was almost nothing that you could ask me to do that I wouldn't do, you know, for, for my art. Right. Of course. Um, Public enemy. I was I was the first guy to go through two tables with them. Really? Before Dreamer, before anybody. It was the first time. And and Teddy, God rest his soul. I I could say that about so many of these people. So yeah. you know, I'm just gonna give you a, I'm just gonna give a blanket, God rest their soul, to all of them, to Luna and, and Anthony Pitbull and and all these guys that you know were, were good to me. Um but uh it, Teddy came up to me and he goes, listen, he goes, this is what I want to do. And he described it. And I thought about it for a second. And, and he looked at me, he goes, listen, it's probably going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> and I say, Hey, whatever, I'm, I'm down for it. So, um, so that's, you know, it's another moment on the WWE network. You can find, um, I forget who I was team. Oh, I think it was, uh, I teamed with Canyon in that match. Oh, right. Okay. I yeah, did read about so, that. There was a match. Yeah. Team so with him. Was, Canyon and I against Public Enemy. I had a lot of interesting partners against those guys. Uh, Dwayne Gill, who we talked about the other day, right? Yeah. Tagged against them with with uh, with Dwayne and um, somebody else that escapes me. Who? Uh, I had three or four, three or four uh, official, you know, like televised matches with the Public Enemy that were were a lot of fun. Uh, actually bladed on one and that was rare for me i mean i wasn't you know it was rare that you would have an underneath guy like a way underneath guy like me bother yeah. to bother to do that um and it was only ever a couple of times in my whole career that i did and uh that was one of them they wanted they wanted some color for this one tv match um and uh another time I worked with kevin sullivan and sherry martell um where i bladed and that was Sherry Martel, geez, I mean, <laughs> nice, like so freaking nice. And and Sullivan was good to me. I, you know, I'd worked with with a woman before I ever met Kevin. I think so. I have a feeling she said, "Oh, you know, he, he's cool. <laughs> you can work with him." Um, <laughs> I don't know if she did, but that's I. I my gut feeling is she did because um, he beat the crap out of me. But I've seen it. I've seen other guys get it even worse. So. <laughs> Uh, I just quickly hopped on the internet then and saw that you also teamed with uh, Dino Sandoff. Okay. Right. D who, um, Dino, Dave, um, 
who later worked and he worked for a ton of years. I don't think he I think he may have stopped finally, but he developed a character called Cujo on the Indies after ECW and and worked quite a bit. Really good guy. And he turned into a, a really good worker, too. But he was another guy who was just willing to do whatever you know, to be there. And, um, we did, we teamed up. We also did a, uh, we did a few things. We, we worked against Taz, um, once in a handicap. And I, I worked Taz solo a few times, but for some reason we did a handicap against, uh, the Tasmaniac before yeah. he was tazzed out. And then I worked with him when he was Taz Taz. Um, but yeah, great guy. Uh, and they got his name. There was a, a local promoter named Dino Santa. Uh, so they just, they did that a lot. You know, Mikey right. Whipwreck's name was was a takeoff on a promoter uh, from, I think, from Virginia or Maryland, whose name was Dennis Whipwrecked. That was his, I think that was his shoot name. And, <laughs> and so that's how they got Mikey's name. And uh, Dino Sendoff was just, you know, this guy, Dino Santa, they were just taking a rib. Um, right. So that that happened a lot. Uh, Joel Hartgood was another guy I teamed <laughs> with, right? Um, and you can see him. We had a, a brutal match against uh, the uh, uh, Ian and Axel uh, Rotten that was on TV, where they just killed us. Um, and in fact, to this day, I have neck problems from that match. But it's another story. So on the network, you can catch it. Um, just watch the. Uh, final power bomb at the end to see see what happened to me um <laughs> but you know his, his name was larry something larry mckenna i think uh but they called him joel hart good as a rib on joel goodhart so right. that that kind of thing happened a lot um <laughs> but yeah we worked uh taz we did we worked uh dean malenko we did yeah if you can imagine uh dean malenko having a handicap match and he and i are essentially the same height you know <laughs> but um but he was the shooter, man. It was yeah. it was awesome, smooth, <laughs> very smooth. Great guy, funny. That, that funny is super spell. cool. Um, I wanted to I wanted to scale back to the double table spot actually, and just ask you how it went. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Not a problem. Looked looked brutal. Again, it was new at that. Now it, you know, it's it's another day at the office for for <laughs> three quarters of the business. But um, back then it was a new thing, and you know the the uh, Timekeeper, who who also ring announced sometimes, uh, Rocky Rocky Musiano, another great guy who I miss. Um, he, um, you know, he came over and Todd came over after the bump, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm selling it, I'm out, and I'm I'm selling it on top of the the tables, kind of folded over top of me, and um, the only bad thing of that, it when it, when it when it folded real quick, it did smack me in the head, but it was nothing, you know, it's nothing worse than than the potato from Axel Rotten, let's say. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the way they did it, and, and I remember Rocco came and he held me by the wrist, like he was checking me to see if I had a pulse, you know, <laughs> and, it was, and just shaking his head. And and everybody, you know, took, played it really seriously. And it, it sold the whole thing. It was really good. But Teddy got up on the top rope and did a, uh, a somersault, like a, like a somersault senton kind of a yeah. deal. Onto, onto me and that's how we we went through the two but they both broke and it was it was perfect you know but it had not been done uh there before until then so that was another first i got to be part of that is awesome 
cool. Very, I love I love hearing those uh, stories that you know I'd never heard before. Even if it seems like uh, there's this tiny moment in time, I find it to be yeah. Uh, it's fun. I don't I don't think about them all that often. So to bring them up, you know, is 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 cool for me too. Because sometimes it seems like a different a different life. I mean, it's thirty years mm. ago almost at this point. That was ninety. Yeah. I was ninety four. You know, so um, yeah, and it's amazing. Well, I'm only- how I'm only 29 now. I don't know how that could be, but <laughs> yeah, no, I find that um, doing these interviews, people start unlocking memories that they haven't thought about in a long time. So that's probably the most fun part of this. Um, uh, being in ECW, obviously, a lot of people sometimes wear a lot of different hats to help out during these these early days. Um, was there anything that you contributed to the company other than performing on the shows? I. Uh, anything and everything um it's uh, again you can't in the position i was in you can't have an ego about stuff if you get asked to do something you do it i mean or or you don't come back that's the way it was and um i can tell you in like near the arena itself which was a, a heavily a densely populated urban area ex- all around there and there was a lot of little shopping plazas and places like that and you know in the early days especially um paulie and todd wanted the houses to look amazing like they wanted it to look like people were you know, standing room only hanging off the rafters that kind of thing and it was not that way those first couple of years the crowds were getting bigger every couple of weeks when we were there and we were there every couple of weeks for a long time, um, but it was not yet sold out like it like it became. And so they would send us. They would give myself um, a, a really good guy that uh, worked in the office there named Andy Weinberg, um, who came up from Maryland and was friends with a lot of the Maryland-based guys like uh, Axel Linnean and uh, Hack Myers. Again, miss him too. Um, those those guys and so he ended up being part of the office and during the pay-per-views you would often see him as the headset guy uh at the timekeeper's table helping to run the show but uh for a long time he and i would get asked to take stacks of tickets and go out onto the street and go to the shopping plazas and go to the supermarkets and no lie the local strip clubs and and try to hand out tickets and get people like talk them into the building you know and people didn't know our guys then a lot of them so you'd have to go oh you just got to come see this you know and they go oh is Hulk Hogan there no but (laughs) you're going to see something you haven't seen before you know and and we literally went out and did that sometimes I would do it in my gear Uh, I do uh you know I do a, a 911 spot you know we'd start a match with me and you know somebody of my ilk <laughs> like a chad austin or um stone cold chad austin i will tell you and uh or dino or something like that and maybe we'd be doing a tag or we'd face off against each other sometimes they would tell us to go out and just you know stink it up on purpose um, <laughs> i didn't need that much prompting to be able to do that of course but <laughs> But yeah, the, we, we understood that the idea was to get the crowd against us so that 911 could come and make his entrance and save the day by chokeslamming the, the crap out of us, right? <laughs> so 
we did that a bunch of times. That was an angle that never got old for, for the crowd. And, but I would do that. And then still in my gear, I'd come back and they say, Hey, you know, we need you to, we need you to go over to, you know, pizza hut or Chuck E. Cheese or, you know, or, or the Acme supermarket and see if you can hand out some tickets. And so we would do that. Um, it was not always easy, especially in the early days, but that's what they wanted to do that to try to, I think they call it papering the house. I think that's the mm. official term. Uh, yeah. um, and I guess I can talk about it now, 30 years on, but um, <laughs> you know, at the time you didn't talk about it. You just, you went out and did it, but you, know, you didn't tell people you were doing it. Um, but yeah, that, um, you know, every once in a while, Paulie would come up to me or Todd and say, listen, I need you to uh, go to, do you have Western union in Australia? Like where you I, can wire, money to somebody across the country or something like that you know what know i've always i've always heard of it i've always seen it on on, on commercials on, on from america yeah I mean, now I guess i've never just, seen one here <laughs> you would paypal or venmo somebody you know yeah or, yeah but back then that didn't exist so um i you know i might get handed a a, a wad of cash you know no questions asked just go and take this. And it was all the way across town. So I'd be leaving the show in the middle of the show sometimes to to get in my car because they knew I had a car that I drove down and and go all the way across town to deliver this money, you know, to the Western Union office um, so that the money could be wired to California to somebody or other. You know, I don't know what it was about. And it's, I don't want to know, but you know that kind of stuff. So they just knew, you know, they trusted me and they knew they, and they could, you know, they knew they could and they could. So, um, uh, that, and they knew that I wasn't, you know, I didn't goof around. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was never drinking and I wasn't doing any drugs and, you know, fine for the people that were doing that. Some had to do it or for some, it was their gimmick anyway, but, um, they knew I was like a, a, a straight and sober guy, even though I was a long hair rock and roll guy. Um, they knew they could trust me to do that kind of stuff. And so I did it. Um, and I would go, sometimes I would go to shows without having any, I would say the majority of the time I would show up having no idea if I was going to be on the card or not. I never knew. And you would just, I would just be ready. You know, I would make sure that I was ready and you had your gear with you and, you know, you either get asked to, go out and drop off some tickets somewhere or they say, Hey, gear up, you know, we need you to go take a choke slam or whatever it is, you know? Um, and by always being ready, you get to have those, those interesting moments. And I did a lot of weird off the wall stuff. One time I was the guest timekeeper for a 30 minute Ironman match with Van Dam and Sabu. Like, why was I doing that? I don't know, but that's, that's what they asked me to do. And it exists. And, <laughs> find it online you know and there i am signaling and, and we did it legit all he wanted to do it legit 30 minutes and give cues to fonzie and the whole bit um i had to borrow uh tammy's you know sunny to borrow tammy's watch because i needed to have a watch nobody had a stopwatch and so you know she literally gave me some gold thing off her wrist and said don't you dare lose this. I'm like, no, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. uh, she was somebody else. You know, I met her and, and Candido on the first TWA shows. So I knew them from uh, 1990. And Tammy wasn't even in the business yet. She was just 
sitting in the back. And I remember talking to her about, you know, she was thinking about going to med school or maybe being a veterinarian. You know, there was there was not one word about her going into the business, you know, right. although Chris, I think I think Chris might have had her bring him to the ring once, um, but she didn't didn't like stay something like that. But yeah, that was, this was before she went to Smoky Mountain and really started to, you know, get in the business. And, and uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, cool. Uh, thank you for sharing all that. You know, I, I find that stuff yeah. interesting. I find it interesting, the little jobs that, you know, different people had within um, the company. Um, and I always ask everyone, uh, from ECW, especially from this era, about that. Uh, so another thing I want to talk to you about, you know, uh, get back to talking about more of like the in-ring stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's no secret. You, you lost a lot of matches. You've talked about losing yeah. a lot of matches. Yeah, just a few. Just a few. <laughs> I got to win a few later, but it was, you know, it was on a much uh, much smaller <laughs> scale uh, with much smaller promotions. But eventually people looked at me in the locker rooms like, oh, there's the vet, you know, we ought to. We'll, we'll get a little rub off of that guy because he was, you know, he, he'd been where he'd been and worked with who he'd worked with. So that, that was cool later, but um, yeah. 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 It's um, cause I think it's an important role. And I've always said this, you know, I've, I've had Dwayne Gill on the show. I've had Barry Horowitz on the show, um, mm. you know, and they, they, they tell me, talk to me about the pride that they had in their job. Um, you know, how did, how did you feel about uh, that job and, and the importance of that job? And, you know, would you agree with me that uh, somebody in that position is is just as important as the top guy? Yeah, I, I don't want to. I mean, it's nice to hear other people say that. And, and I, I guess I do agree, but um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to overplay it either. It's, it's probably less might be less important today on the majors because you don't really have squash matches anymore, um, yeah. which is as the term I like to use, but um, because they, everything's hot shotted, you know, they don't take back in the day, they would take three months, six months to build somebody up. And how do you build them up? You put them in front of people with somebody that they just take apart, you know, and, and that was an important thing. It was a big thing on the old TBS TV shows, uh, you know, the NWA shows in the 80s. Um, you know, you had the guys like the George Souths and uh, and the people like that who were good, really good hands in the ring. But clearly their job was to build the Barbarian and was to build Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude and to build the Midnight Express. I mean, that's that's what they were there for. And some of those guys were not so hot. But a lot of them were really good workers. They just, you know, and you knew if you were a worker, you would watch them and go, oh, yeah, I appreciate what, what those guys are doing. The average fan would just go, ah, look at those jobbers, you know. Yeah. Now, there's less of that, but I think there's more appreciation for what the what the underneath guys do and what um, what the job guys and the enhancement guys do. It just doesn't, you don't see it as much. When, uh, when I first started getting in, um, like this guy Rebel, uh, he was Larry Sharp would send a bunch of his trainees, a bunch of his guys who were not yet out in the world really, except for his own shows. But he would send them to WWF, T 
TV and they would tape a ton of TV and they had whatever their auxiliary shows were, main event, superstars and whatever, whatever they were. Um, and they would build up their guys. So I could go on, I could watch TV and see uh, Brutus Beefcake versus Rock and Rebel, Brutus Beefcake versus uh, Johnny Hotbody, or they might have called him by his, his shoot name. But, you know, you would see these guys because they were trainees, but they, Larry Sharp would send them. And Larry used to work for Vince McMahon's dad back in the day. So they trusted him as a pipeline to, to send workers. And that's how a lot of guys got their start. Pitbulls did those jobs, um, a lot of guys. And um, so it was a bigger deal back then. You don't see that so much anymore. AEW, I don't watch it a ton, but, you know, I, I check it out online a good bit. And um, they do the same. It seems like they do the same kind of thing because they will bring in local talents and, and people who, before they sign them they'll have them come in and and they give them some extra offense i think a lot of them but in the end they're there to build up people you know and the ones that really have charisma and and, and talent they end up signing um so there's still a place for it um and it's a good way to work i mean i i've trained guys not recently but i i spent some time in the 2000s uh, training some guys and i never thought i would do that but once you start to work with them, you realize how much you learned by being in those matches and being around guys that knew what they were doing. And I wasn't trained by any of them necessarily, except that I I could see what they did and how they did it. And I'm able to impart that on, you know, on other guys, on new guys. So um, that's something I enjoy doing. I, I would like to, to do more of that in the future if I can find the time. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to train a, a, a good few guys back in the early 2000s. And it's you don't even know what you know sometimes until they ask you a question and you and you start to point things out to them. Um, I, I never did all the flying, you know, crazy. You know, I was not a spot monkey and certainly couldn't do it today. So my <laughs> thing was positioning, footwork, um, realism. You know, I stress that I'm not a. I'm not as big a fan of the crazy uh, high spot dance where it looks like they're dancing. You yeah. know, I, it's not really my thing. I'm, you know, to me, uh, Terry Funk is yeah. a hero because you believed him, you know, um, and guys, guys like that. So um, if you throw in one or two high spots, I, I, I don't know. That's a whole other conversation, but I, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not a fan of there being 38 finishes in one match. I agree. Just, even though people know what they're watching, I think you can still suck them in with, with a, a certain realism and a certain believability if you do it right. And it bothers me when you see, you know, people get up and, and walk away, not selling a, you know, a spike pile driver or something that should, should kill them. That's exactly. just my, my my personal taste in, in wrestling. Yeah. No, I'm the exact same. I get pissed off when I see I'm like, you could have killed that guy with whatever you hit on him, that unrealistic right. thing that you just did to him, that there's no way that it's humanly possible to do that unless he's cooperating with you. Uh, or <laughs> he's fucked least, on his head and then he's out of time. Yeah, or, or at least sell sell the stuff afterwards to, to some degree. You know, I... No, again, it's a it's a philosophy, and um, 
you can't complain about it because uh, things have evolved to this, and I don't know if it's ever going to go back. But um, you know, people that watch MMA, for instance, they you know they understand if you get you know <laughs> yeah. Um, Exactly. Sometimes things that don't necessarily look like they're that brutal, you learn how brutal they really are because it's just it's just a joint, you know. You manipulate that the right way, it will break. And yeah. um, so I, I always like that. I when I was a kid, that was that difference between WWF and the the wrestling from Florida, where I got to see uh, guys like very young. Uh, Bob Orton's and very young Barry Windham's and and uh, old school guys like Bill Watts and Eddie Graham and um, you know it's where I was first exposed to to a guy named Billy Robinson right oh, who's you know one of the great shooters and didn't physically I mean he was a big dude but he didn't he was not a bodybuilder you know I was used to seeing hey superstar Billy Graham he's got all those muscles he must be a great wrestler right and then you see a Billy Robinson who can you know turn you in into into a pretzel you know yeah. and and just it, it really it had such a big effect on me and so from that time on i i always more appreciated that realism and and for me as a smaller guy i knew i had to sell there's no way that i should be recovering quickly sometimes people would say I, they thought i was selling a little too much i remember a crowd once here's another crazy thing i found myself working um, with uh, managing Abdullah the Butcher <laughs> against Bam Bam Bigelow on a couple of the TWA shows. This was in 90 and 91. Like, what was I doing in the ring with these guys, right? There I was and um, and learned a lot of stuff there. But there was one match where uh, I, Bigelow headbutted me and then he picked me up and he gorilla press slammed me. And there was still maybe 10 15 minutes left to go in that match but i stayed outside and i and i sold the whole rest of the match because that's what i that's what i was supposed to do and i i could clearly like it was yesterday i remember some smart fan you know going oh come on you get up that's ridiculous you know and <laughs> i didn't even acknowledge him because you know it's not for him to say <laughs> but <laughs> but rest, to, to everybody else that was maybe not so smart you know they just thought i was dead which yeah. is what I wanted to think. And I was not going to go back in that locker room af after that, not selling that for the rest of the night. And when, and that was another thing that we got taught by these old school guys, you sell that all the way to the car, you know, of course. I mean, when we, we would do, we did a lot of shows in like places like sports bars and downtowns where when you left, you were walking right through all the fans and then you're walking down the street People could see if they wanted, they could walk alongside you and talk to you. I mean, it was not like it was backstage and you could escape, right? And I sold all the way to the car. And then even when I was in the car and I was at the at the lights anywhere near there, I was still, you know, I was holding my head or I was I was making it clear that I was not in good shape. Sometimes I wasn't, right? For real. But it's that's the that's the thought pattern. It's that that sell is everything and if you do it well enough and and long enough and convincingly enough people start to have doubts in their mind They're like oh maybe maybe he really got effed up you know yeah and that's that's what we're after so i think that's incredible and i think a lot of uh wrestling fans out there don't understand or 
uh, maybe not even appreciate the fact that someone would go to these lengths even well after the show's over just to yeah. protect it. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I drove home once with an eye, like gauze all, all over my face and one eye covered because I got um, another old dear friend of mine, a guy named Glenn Osborne, who worked early, uh, who worked TWA and early ECW stuff and went on to be, a, uh, you know, a, an indie player, you know, did indie main events up and down the coast for years. Real big real big guy and, and and a great guy but we we used to travel to shows together and you know one time he he threw a fireball at me you know in a match and it, it actually did singe my hair a little bit which smells horrible if you've ever smelled burning human hair um but um you know i sold that thing with the gauze and everything over my face and i had driven to the show you know so i I'm limping out to my car with this stuff. And there were some fans out there and, um, and they're asking, you know, how you doing? I'm saying, I don't know, man, I'm going to try to get home. I think I'll be all right. And I kept that on for probably 20 minutes till I finally took it off when I was way away from, uh, from the venue. So yeah, it's just the way I was taught. And uh, that's how we did it. That's brilliant, bro. Um, yeah. You get to work with a lot of legends during these days. I really didn't want to skim past any of this because this is—I feel this is important stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Don Morocco, Ivan Koloff, Stan Hansen, Ray Warrior mm -hmm. Hawk, uh, and uh, the list goes on. Um, have you got any tales of? I guess maybe some of your proudest uh, squash match losses. Yeah, uh, all of them. You know, I mean. <laughs> People still talk about Hanson to me, at least the other other workers that I that I know, because they, you know, they know what they know what he's about. And I guess now the general public kind of knows, too, that he was, um, you know, he was another Terry Funk-esque kind of guy in that he wanted to make people believe. And. And he did. It was easy to believe him. He was I he was just. He was huge. He wasn't the tallest guy. I mean, he was tall compared to me. Um, might have been 6'2", maybe 6'3", but he was just a house. You know, not a fat guy, not a muscle guy, just a big house. Um, and and he couldn't see, you know, which, again, you'll hear from everybody. And he even said it to me after the match because he had, he had actually knocked me out. Oh, here's something you can see on the – you see this on the WWE network, although I don't know if my I don't know if my name is in it. I think it says I think it said uh, Stan Hansen, maybe it says something like destroys jobbers is the title, <laughs> something like that. But it was me and, and Herve Renesto. <laughs> Twisted Neil and Sex Appeal. Good luck there. Um, th that was actually the only promo we ever cut and that I ever cut for ECW television. Um, we we did a promo before that match against Stan Hansen, um, uh, which is a riot. But um, yeah, so Stan had me in the corner and went to do a, a, a chop, right? But I was so I think I was so short, <laughs> or maybe he just wasn't looking. But instead of getting me in the chest, he hit me right in the jaw. And I, I was knocked out for a few seconds. And the next thing I know, I was on the ground, you know, sitting on the, on the mat, 
And and the next thing I know is he kicked me really hard, not with the flat of his foot, which is how we would teach people, but with the point of his of his cowboy boot um, <laughs> right in the middle of my spine. And that woke me up, actually. Um, so it was bad, but it was good. Um, but yeah, he and you can hear if you if you listen on the audio of the thing. I don't know that you see it so much, but you can hear the you hear it. And it's actually my face, not my chest that he's hitting. Um, and afterwards, he, he actually came up and he says, oh, yeah, I can't I can't see what I'm hitting and I can't hit what I'm seeing. <laughs> that was his quote to me. I said, no problem, sir. Thank you. Um, I think the referee, John Finnegan, actually uh, whispered to me before the match. He said, protect yourself <laughs> because he knew. And, and that was really rare for him to say something like that. Um, but but he did. Yeah. So but again. That's what we signed up for, and uh, and it was an honor. I mean, I saw him uh, break Bruno San Martino's neck, you know, when mm. I was a kid. And here yeah. I am in the ring with the guy. Now, a normal person would think, oh, shit, I don't want him to break my neck. Me, I'm thinking, I can't wait to take that freaking lariat to say I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, and he knew. He actually took it easy on me. If you, The finish was the lariat. But instead of doing it off the ropes, because I was, he knew I was in a bad way. I think um, is he just lifted me up by my hair, and he and he did it as as I was standing there, as he was holding me up by my hair. So <laughs> it, it could have been worse. Um, but he suplexed me in, he threw me out, and he suplexed me in from the outside, and and the the whole ring shook, and I only weighed about a buck buck seventy, buck eighty. Then I was this was in ninety three, so I, I had not even gotten bulkier yet and um and that just the force of him doing that to me and the whole ring shook the referees like bouncing up and down and uh anyway so amazing yeah it's a good you can find that one too online yeah I, I can't wait i'm gonna i'm gonna look for it after this uh, is <laughs> yeah. over, that's for sure <laughs> i'm sorry i don't I mean, mean to say i can't wait to see you again no <laughs> no it's hey that's i'm i'm happy if anybody watches it you know Absolutely. Um, and I, I want to bring up some other names of, of ECW guys that you worked with over the years. Uh, and if you have a story, please share. Or, you know, if there's no real story, but you just want to give your thoughts to them, please share that as well. Um, I know you wrestled this guy quite a few times in your career, Shane Douglas. Yeah. Um, rarely. I don't know that we ever had a match match, um, but we had some angles. Um, I just saw Shane too. I, I never, I don't go to conventions or any of that stuff. I very rarely, I went to a, a reunion at a convention, an ECW reunion in like 2007 or 2008. And I went to the reunion shows that we did in Philly um, and got to do a really neat spot on one of them with just, again, just cause I had my gear there. And, you know, I think Raven said, you doing anything? And I said, no, he goes, now you are. So, you know, <laughs> cool stuff like that can happen. Um, but uh, I went to a, uh, a reunion convention thing just in December and um, right. got to talk to Shane for the first time in a while. And uh, he's, he was always cool with me and good with me. And um, but, yeah, we did we did a couple of <clears throat> angles. Um, I think when he first got to ECW and they were trying to establish him as a heel, he called he called guys out from the locker room you know to challenge anybody wanted to challenge him and uh and her hervey and i both came out 
And um, I think he beat us both in a couple seconds, you know, <laughs> headbutted me. And, uh, and I think I got belly to belly. And then he super kicked Hervey, I think. Or maybe he super kicked me and we belly to bellied him. Anyway, so there was that. There was another thing a few years later. Um, same kind of idea. He was calling guys down from the locker room. Uh, but this was, you know, by then we had much better production than it was a bigger show. And um, and I think Hack Myers and myself and somebody else, it was some kind of angle with Two Cold Scorpio and Oh, Shane. I remember that, yeah. I vaguely remember it, but uh, what I remember is that I, I kind of half botched the, uh, he did a uh, Tully Blanchard's old thing, that slingshot suplex, Yeah, you know, he lifts you up off the top rope and then, which was not something he normally did, but because he had to beat four or five guys in a row, um, he had to use a different finisher on each one. So that was the one we did and I'd never taken it. And, and again, it doesn't seem like it would be a big deal, but I, I just remember feeling like I didn't do it so well. But um, so there was that. Um, there was a lot of those little quick things, you know, with with Hall of Famers. Uh, Ron Simmons, you know, did did a, a run in with Ron Simmons where he uh, um, spine bustered me, um, <laughs> and just all kinds of cool stuff. We did. There was one cage match. Um, it was one of the angles we did where Lawler, I think Lawler and, and Rick Rude were involved and Van Dam and a bunch of people. And they were blocking people. We were coming out to try to save maybe Dreamer. And guys from the locker room came out and they, would, they wouldn't let us in the cage. And we were trying to climb up the cage. Actually, Candido, for some reason, was out there with me. I don't know why he would be, but because um, <laughs> it should have been lower level guys than him. But he was out there. And we were climbing up the cage and then uh, they had, I think Sandman was in there. So they had cane, Singapore canes and, you know, Van Dam was like poking me with the cane through the, through the cage and knocking me off the cage. And I remember being on the floor and Bigelow coming by and kicked me in the head. He was part of the angle too. Um, so again, just random little things that, you know, just make up that whole tapestry of, of what I got to do that, is uh, really cool. Yeah, it's cool. And, and uh, another guy I really wanted to ask you about, if you have any stories uh, about, is, is Raven. Uh, first time I met him, and he won't remember it, but um, the Monster Factory ran a open to the public tryout um, on uh, at, at their facility, which was in a rural, at that time, it was in a real rural part of uh, South New Jersey, South Jersey to you Americans. And, um, and I, I heard about it on Joel Goodhart's wrestling radio show. Right. So I just decided to go and check it out. I wasn't going to try out. Um, I just wanted to kind of see what it was about and hang out and see if anybody famous would show up, you know? So I met Larry Sharp, uh, Johnny Rods, the immortal <laughs> Johnny Rods, uh, WWF, um, I don't even call him a job guy. He was like, he was like their low level enforcer. You know, right. all the guys coming in would have to go through him. Like oh, he was okay. their tryout match yeah. at Madison square garden and stuff like that. Old pro. I mean, you know, and, and ran, he ran the training center that dreamer and Bubba and um, Taz all went to, you know, that was his facility in New York. They all started their training and uh, Devon, they all started their training with Johnny Rods amongst a lot of other uh, people that did. 
anyway, so he was there as as a guest, and he ended up, and he worked a short match with with one of the train Larry's trainees. But one of the one of the Monster Factory trainees that was on that that outdoor tryout show was Raven. He was Scotty the Body at that point, and so that was the first time I saw him and met him. And from there, I didn't see him again until he came into ECW. But um, good guy, really, really good to me for whatever reason. He liked me, and you know, I got a lot of really cool opportunities through him, uh, just because you know he was he was just cool to me, and I I am always grateful. Um, he put me in that kiss gimmick with uh, Stevie Richards and Blue Meanie and Nova, which which was you know a highlight of my career, um, and you know. I got to tell that story a little bit anyway. It was one weekend where we had a spot show on a Friday night in the arena on Saturday. And I was at the, the Friday night show and Scotty came up to me and he said, Raven, and he said, um, you know, he goes, we're thinking of doing kiss and we need, we need, we need the fourth member. We need the drummer, you know? And I said, I happen to have a pair of drumsticks in the car because I did. <laughs> I just always had equipment in the car, right? So I had a pair of drumsticks in the car. I went and got them. And he had to make me up because I was not a Kiss fan. They, was, they just were not, you know, they weren't one of my one of my bands, right? Um, so I didn't even know. I knew they wore the makeup, obviously, but I didn't know the character um, of the drummer, Peter Chris. So they made me up. And we went out and we did this gimmick with uh, Sandman and Scorpio, I think it was. And people went nuts. And... And they said, okay, we're going to do this tomorrow night at the arena again. So again, I went down there and they made me up. And and that's when we went out and did the rock and roll all night thing, which again, you can find online if uh, you're curious. JT Smith came out and introduced us using this Italian accent um, <laughs> from the FBI. And, and you know, he says, here's Kiss. And people are like, what? And then we came out and Mimi's shooting blood out of his mouth like gene simmons and we had some bogus they had some bogus instruments and i was carrying the drumsticks and playing on the turnbuckle and all this <laughs> kind of stuff and then at the end of it sandman comes out and destroys us uh, so that was that was my bright that was my one shining moment of uh being in the bwo plus we um we did promos that night and if you've ever heard the stories most of the the promos got cut way after the show was over yeah. so i think it was four or five in the morning and we're outside still in gear you know and it's it was summertime but it was cold at that point and we're out there and doing some kind of crazy thing where somebody drove a car up and we all piled into the car and i don't remember <laughs> the, the specifics of it but that ended up on tv too um <laughs> so but that was all because you know i had the hair right and I was a musician and, you know, again, Scotty trusted me to do it. And that was a great opportunity. So that was yeah. really cool. It's, it's, it's one of the iconic the moments. The Hardcore Homecoming, I think, was the reunion show in 2005. Yeah. And I was not booked on the show, but of course I was there in the back helping out, you know, visiting and whatever. And, um, you know, and they were having a meeting at intermission and were trying to come up with some kind of angle for this long drawn out thing with him and Sandman and Mimi and the Mouseketeer and Mikey Whipwreck and a few other people. They were just doing some big schmas. And uh, 
So they, I got booked in to, to do that where I came out and attacked uh, Raven and Sandman and then took off one shirt. And I was wearing one of my old Don E. Allen shirts underneath and did like the dreamer Raven pose, you know, <laughs> that, that deal. And uh, then Whipwreck came out and he uh, hit me a few times and tossed me over the top. And that was <laughs> it. But I got to be on that show, which was cool. And ended up on a video and all that good stuff. So that's very Again, cool pure luck. pure luck yeah no that's cool i remember saying that uh taking place so uh, when the, the hard yeah. coming uh happened all those years ago uh and it was it's... the same same weekend as, and i'm sorry to interrupt you but no, it was the same fine. weekend as the one that wwe did yeah right? their famous the the one i guess did they call it one night stand was that the one that's right yeah yeah so it was that same weekend um and a lot of the same guys were on both shows but not everybody um terry funk famously chose to work ours and refused to work vince's uh, which was like a big deal at the time because yeah. they wanted him on, on that one um so yeah yeah no it was it was quite quite the weekend that's for sure uh, <laughs> um uh, one thing i was really uh, interested in asking about and and, and sorry doc we, we're coming to near, toward the end of the interview Get, getting close uh, so i'm I yakking too much i apologize <laughs> no that's okay uh um but uh Doing my research, June 1st, 96, you worked Shane Douglas for the television title, The Arena. Um, in my research after that, you don't wrestle another match for ECW till 1998, I believe, where you have a one-off match at the Woodhaven Sports Centre uh, yeah. on June 20th against someone known as The Equalizer. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to know what what happened uh, in 96 and and and... Where, where Don E. Allen went and why the big gap between those I two. was I went nowhere I was all of those shows now mind you I didn't um I didn't do uh, I didn't travel to all the out-of-town shows yeah. um I was mainly if it was Jersey if it was Pennsylvania if it was um Delaware Maryland I rarely I, I can't I can count on one hand maybe the times I ever went up to a New York uh show it's just because I also, through this whole time, I was playing gigs. You know, I was in a, a number of different bands and um, and doing solo work. And that was, a, I didn't make very much on, on the wrestling side. I don't want to talk too much about the, the money aspect of things. But, you know, I was never guaranteed that I was going to be on any of these shows. I ended up being on a lot of them for, for a good few years. But... Um, as we got into 96 and 97, 98, uh, things were blowing up, right? And there were more and more guys that were that were both showing up to try to get a spot on, on the shows and more guys that were being brought in from out of town. So, you know, you had your your kid caches and, and uh, just any number of people like that who were not local guys um it was easy for me to be at those local shows because it was within an hour two hours you know travel for the most part from home so that was easy for me but as as the momentum started building up with the company more and more guys were showing up and a lot of these guys frankly are you know were bigger talents than i was and i had more upside uh to do something for the company long term so um, it was never a conversation that we had. It was just simply I kept showing up and I still had my gear 
Um, and I did whatever, you know, I was asked to do. And I did things, you know, in the back as I always did. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what happened. So it was just an organic, it was an organic thing. And I, I also did start working some indie shows more at that time. I would still ask, and I, I don't know if they laughed at me for asking, but they seem to appreciate it. Cause I would say, Hey, you know, I have an opportunity to do this. And, um, you know, Paulie said, is it, I remember him saying a couple of times, he goes, is it a payday? And I said, yeah, he goes, do it. So, um, so yeah. And then there was a few, I was still, um, I still would do, you know, run-ins on angles and stuff like that. Um, so you would still see me on TV, but I wasn't really, I wouldn't have been mentioned necessarily, but if there was a crowd out there breaking up a, breaking up a fight or, or something like that, I can remember a good couple of times doing those kind of spots with uh, guys who were around in the later part, um, the Eliminators and uh, the Samoan the Gangster Party and, yeah. and things about, things like that, where they just needed everybody from the back to come out and do stuff. So, um, yeah, but it just, you know, it, it's just the way it happened and it made perfect sense. I was realistic about that too. I, I had no reason to believe they were going to invest any great time or effort in, in me. And I don't think they should have really. So um, that thing in 98, um, the equalizer was a, a, a buddy of uh, Bigelow's, I think. And big tattooed, pierced guy, you know, um, Paulie was his name. And, um, but that was just, a, that was just a match as a precursor to Bigelow and Taz were building up their feud. So I, again, that's, it did make it to TV. Or I don't know if the whole match is, but I think it did. And I had a, I had a video of it that was like a fan cam video also that's that's a decent. But um, so we just worked for like a minute or a minute and a half. And then Taz made a long, slow entrance, you know, with the with the <laughs> black towel on his head. Yeah. And he just came into the ring and destroyed us. Um, <laughs> I landed on my neck and my head really badly that night. I remember that. Um, and this stuff you don't necessarily hear about. Um, but you know, I went in the back and thought maybe something was broken or fractured. We didn't know I couldn't turn my head. Uh, you know, they gave me uh damage control. Our, you know, our EMT folks gave me a, a hard collar to wear going home just in case. And I drove my, I went back home, which was like an hour away and just took myself right to the hospital to get checked out. Cause I thought, well, if something's broken, I don't want to, you know, jar it and get paralyzed. So, um, right, of course. And it wasn't, but it was, you know, it was a little scary. Um, but that's again the kind of stuff would happen. Just, just keep moving. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask a, a little bit about this uh, all American wrestling. Uh, you become the AAW Pennsylvania State Heavyweight Champion. After defeating Kid America, aka referee Mike Keener. That's right. That's right. Um, can you please tell me, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that? Uh, you know, you, uh, wrestling for uh, another company and winning a championship like this, that means that you must be having longer, more competitive matches um, as yeah. opposed to what you were used to in ACW. So this must be something a little bit different. How was this it experience? Was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, 
you know, it was weird because sometimes I was being asked to call call the matches, and of course I, I knew how to do it, but I hadn't done it a lot, and so that was that was a different thing. I was a face uh, for a lot of them, so usually your your heel calls you know, traditionally the heel calls match, but um, yeah. it was uh, yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, I got to do things. I got to throw drop kicks and arm drags and stuff that I would never do in the ring with um, you know. With, with the big guys, right? Because uh, most of these guys were more my size. And um, and it was just cool because there was a, a, a level of, of respect, I guess, because they knew that I had been where I'd been. So, um, you know, I was accorded a, a little bit of, of uh, a little deference, you know, and that, that was cool. And I enjoyed that. Um, and I kept doing that. I mean, AAW, these were just local guys, some really good workers, some, you know, ended up not being so great. But I got videos of, of those shows, you know, the Battle Royals, Royce, where they throw everybody in, even the guys that weren't ready to work full matches. And there's videos of, of guys that went on to do really great things who were just starting. And, you know, and they were, I was the vet even then at that point. So guys like uh, Trent Acid. You know, right. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, yeah. who I worked with when he was green, 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 you know, and uh, you know, throwing clotheslines with like a stiff arm like this, it just—it's <laughs> so funny to watch because he, he became such a great worker. Um, <laughs> and uh, a little bit later, you know, but the same idea was uh, a group that I worked for called ACPW, American yeah. Championship Pro Wrestling, and those guys uh, gave me a lot of. Spots and um, that's also you know kind of where I helped train some guys too. But um, worked with guys there like like Adam Cole, you know, as a rookie um, was on shows with Drew Gulak as a rookie, and it's it's cool now. I mean, it was a while ago, but those are guys who are now they're veterans, you know, and really made a, a name for themselves. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, these were all local to me. Again, within an hour or two, these shows were close enough to home that I could do them, and and still, you know, work. I was working a day job through this whole time, um, which I don't know if everybody realized, but I mean, I was certainly not making a living and couldn't have made a living off of wrestling at that point. Um, so I had a full time day job and the music and and the and the gigs, the wrestling shows. So. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It was cool to hold the strap and, and get to do longer form matches and worked with Keener a lot. Again, shout out to Mike Keener. Just just one of the best guys um, you know, ever. You know, just yeah. great, great ref and, and, a, um, and a real decent in-ring performer. You know, he had his moments as a kid USA. Uh, he could work. He knew what to do. He knew how to, knew how to call matches and um, yeah, he was good, and he's he's helped train a lot of guys, more guys than people realize. He's helped train along the way too. So, and he's still active. I know he still does Maryland Championship Wrestling all the time, and I think MLW, especially yeah. when they're when they're in in Philly. Um, so he's popped up on their TV, uh, both their old the old Core Power shows and and the newer ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, excellent, excellent guy. Cool, cool, and. Uh... I've got a couple more questions here, Don. Uh, uh, 
there were a few TWA reunion shows in the late 2000s uh, that you got to be a part of. How fun was that to, you know, kind of uh, get back together with, with those guys from that that era? It was awesome. Yeah, it's like seeing your old, you know, it's like family reunion. Uh, most of them, you know, you ran into over the years, but but some not so much. And there were some people in that audience that didn't really continue going to shows that I recognized uh, and were seeing for the first time in a long time. So right. that was cool. And again, I got to work some, you know, some longer form matches, um, which was really cool. Um, worked with, uh, had a match with Jimmy Gennetti, who was a, a, yeah. a big T TWA guy. He was a Philly guy and, and uh, an old friend. Um Worked with, uh, oh, geez, who else? Oh, uh, the um, Mike Tartaglia, who was um, the hitman, uh, Michael Bruno, <laughs> back in the in the day. Um, <laughs> and um, he was a TWA guy, and he came up same time as me, you know, began training. And he later went on to own ECWA. He bought that. Right. and. Uh, uh, Joe Zanoli, who was a referee in TWA, those guys ran the ECWA out of Delaware for a long time. I think Joe is still running it. I think Mike now is not involved, but um, they were they were really uh, the brains behind the TWA reunions. And so they were very kind to invite me to, to be part of it. And I have two or, th two or three or four of my favorite matches that I've ever done. Uh, I did for them. Um, did a tag match. I think it was. Uh, I can't believe I forget. I teamed with somebody against uh, Kid USA oh. and Blue Mimi, but I can't remember who I teamed with right now. Which is I'll, I'll be somebody, able to find it. I can find it. Yeah, somebody's mad at me, but um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was it was it was really cool. I'm sorry that they didn't keep doing those because uh, that would have been fun to do. I'm seeing, uh, let's have a look here. Yep, the first one I see, uh, singles with Michael Bruno. The next one, the Red, White and Blue Express with Kid America and the Blue Meanie against you and Jimmy Gennetti. Uh, another oh, me singles. There you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, another singles with Gennetti. And then I think the last TWA is a was a six-man gauntlet that you were a part of. Right. And I did. I worked a singles match against Gennetti too, uh, yeah. against him. At one of the TWA shows as well, so I think there was there were four or five of those shows, and then there was one where I was in I was just in a battle royal, but I don't think I worked uh, singles uh, on one of them, and that was uh, yeah. Car now the, the funny thing is Carino, who was not yet in the business when we did t the original TWA, was such a fan of those shows because they were like the first shows that he went to live um, local that uh he got on those twa shows <laughs> he wanted to be on them you know and work with hitman tony stetson and you know some of these other guys that um that were part of him so that was that was pretty cool he had a he had a real good match against i think against al snow on uh, right yeah on one of those yeah and snow snow he's great i just saw him at that reunion in december too at the uh, convention i should say so cool. it's uh was cool and i you know i think i was wearing one of his uh his shirts you know he sells these uh oh, yeah. he's got that brand collar and elbow and um uh, and i just went over to him and i went i hope you're getting paid for this and he goes yeah i guess oh, cool <laughs> <laughs> you know, i don't know if he, they just if he lends his 
you know, if he's like a figurehead or if he, you know, he was really making something from him. But right. so happy to yeah. see him. Uh, that that guy, uh, just yeah, what a classic! What a what a wealth of knowledge! And uh, you know, anybody gets a chance to train, get trained by him is uh, is a lucky person. So. Definitely. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you about the 18th of June, 2011. Uh, Don E. Allen defeats Chase Rawlings at the ACPW Arena in Falcroft, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, is this the last match? Was this the last time you had a, a match in the ring? No. Um, it was one of the last ones. Okay. But my last match, and I always say, so far. <laughs> because... <laughs> Nobody ever retires, right? Um, not in our business, anyway. <clears throat> My last match was uh, in October of 2012. Right. I worked a few matches in 2011 and 2012, and the last one was, uh, and it was really only the last one because I got hurt pretty bad, um, got thrown out of the ring, and, and just had a bad, bad landing um, on the uh, arena floor, and. Um, it, at that point, things had been piling up, you know, the knees and the shoulders, everything's, you know, pretty messed up after all, after all those years of bumps. So um, I just uh, didn't go back. I've been in the ring a couple of times briefly uh, when I visited uh, my friends. He had a, a training place set up and had a ring set up and uh, I did go in and, uh, and you know, bumped around a tiny little bit, but um, that's been it so far. But Stay tuned. Somebody just has to make me the right offer. <laughs> Sounds I can still cut a promo. I just don't know if I, I don't know how long I can go without blowing up. You know, I was in the, I was not a body guy. Right. And I never, I never took roids or anything like that, but my cardio was, was pretty good. And I literally was in the gym five to six days a week, every week, every year for like 25 years straight out of need to do that for survival. I could not have done what I did. Um, even just getting the crap beat out of you, you know, to, to do what you have to do to be in the right spot at the right time to, you know, to, to get through that with cardio that you need and, and, you know, and, and uh, some bulk, um, you know, required a, a lot of work and dedication and, um, after 2012, when I had that, I had that injury and I stepped back for a little bit, fully thinking I was going to go back. And then my parents who were elderly, I started having to do some caregiving for them. And, you know, I was going to the gym three times a week and then twice and then once. And then, you know, and then I just stopped. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was like, and it's once you do that, once you stop, it's really hard to go back. And when I think that I would do anything to make sure that I got the workouts in for 25 to 30, really almost 30 years straight, you know, it was a lot of time and effort and, and it had to be done. And I'm glad I did it, but I, I couldn't go back in the ring now unless I got myself in, in the right kind of shape because it would be dangerous. It would be dangerous yeah. for me and for anybody I worked with. I would love to say that I could get back there and do it. And, and I still might try at this point, but um, it's not in the immediate plans now. I miss it. I miss it like crazy. It's hard to describe, but yeah. when you've been in there and there's just a certain feeling when you 
when when you when you hit the bumps right and you know grabbing the headlock or being in one and just that that freaking that squeeze and backing <laughs> into the ropes and I mean everything in that ring hurts honest to God but you, you you're so used to it and it's just a part of you and when you don't have that feeling when you don't wake up in the morning with with the mat burn and and the the bruising you know on your on your back from from the cables and the ropes um you actually miss it as crazy as that sounds so right um, yeah i miss it a lot but uh, it's probably uh discretion is the better part of valor as they say right now <laughs> so Fair enough, Don. And uh, you know, look, I think at this time I should I should take the time to to give a shout out to Mr. Bay Ragney, uh, who oh, was yeah. the one he was able to connect us. Um, so yeah. I want to thank him, of course. And, I worked uh, I worked his. You know, he had a, a nice promotion going for a while. Uh, LAW Liberty All Star Wrestling, yeah. and uh, I, I worked a bunch of his shows too. And uh, and I think I worked sound for a couple of them. In fact. That's I did that for the TWA shows too. I actually not only did I work them, but I got there early and brought a, a PA system you know, from the band and <laughs> set it up, you know, so um, so people could actually hear the the ring announcements, which on some indie shows are horrendously bad, right? So um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So shout out to me, man. I did double duty on this. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so I want I want to take this time now, Don, to just let everyone out there know. Uh, what's been going on with you? You know what, what you're doing with your life these days. Tell us about your music. Tell us everything. The floor is yours. Um, yeah, still working a day job. I hate it, but that's what I do. Um, five days a week. And music-wise, I uh, I'm freelance, uh, freelance bass player, guitar player, and drummer. And I work. I freelance, but I work regularly with a bunch of bands there's probably eight or nine different bands that will call me to do to do gigs none of them are full-time but uh, amongst all of them they keep me busy so i'm usually uh working at least one or two nights a week out in the bars and clubs and i do private events and um you know whatever comes up if i get the call and, and i can do it i do it so that's all cover band stuff right yeah. um mostly mostly classic rock whatever whatever sells in the in the clubs and gets people out to dance that's what i do and then uh, i've always done my own music i've got three three cds that i've done none of them are really available for sale at the moment but once once i get uh cranking on on the new cd which is almost done uh i'm gonna figure out a way to at least get those streaming somewhere so everybody can can hit them up if they want to um and i have a website um it's not really updated at the moment but there's a couple of my tunes on there old older songs and, and a couple of pictures if you want to see me and you know not laying on my back uh with blood oozing out of my face um <laughs> so that's uh it's donnieallen.com not don e like the wrestling it's d-o-n-n-i-e-a-l-l-e-n donnieallen.com is my uh is my website and Again, plans are to revamp that soon and, and, and actually get it up to date. I don't even think that I know the dates on there for gigs and that sort of thing aren't at all up to date. But um, working with a, a web mistress who will uh, be fixing that up for me soon. And then we'll we'll be setting up all kinds of streaming options for the, the original songs. Um, so 
that's Very cool. that's what's up right now. If you're anywhere in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, anybody watching this, um, you know that's 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 where I dwell. So um, Philly, Bucks County, Delaware County, Montgomery County, Chester County, uh, some state of Delaware, and some Maryland uh, is is kind of where I I roam as far as the uh, the music jobs. Very cool. And I'll make sure that DonnieAllen.com will be in the description there for everyone. Um, Please. Just to click on, I, check I it out. It. Yeah. No problem, I mean, Donnie. All the bands have their own Facebook pages and stuff. I can't give you all of that. Now, I could I could probably email that stuff to you if you care to. Please do. And I'll, I'll, pop, I'll pop that in, in the description. As Sweet. Well. Awesome. Oh, Donnie, we get to our final segment here of the show. We, we, we now know what, what you're up to these days. This is the final segment. We want to learn about your favorite things here. It's quick fire questions for quick fire answers. Donnie Allen, okay. who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? That's changed a bit over the years. Um, man. Uh, I'm going to say uh, it could could change day to day, but I'm going to say right now, uh, I'll say Jack Briscoe. Jack Very Briscoe, nice. the legendary NWA champion of the mid seventies, and um, you know he, he Jerry Briscoe, who you guys may know from WWF later, um, but it was his brother and tag team partner too. But uh, him, uh, Billy Robinson. Those are like the technical guys that I that I love to watch. Um, and then just as, as personalities and people that captured my imagination when I was really young, uh, you know, San Martino, <coughs> Freddie Blassie was, was a big one for me back in the day. And uh, Jimmy Valiant, not the boogeyman, Jimmy Valiant, but I mean, same guy. But back when he was bleach blonde, handsome Jimmy Valiant. Um, just his charisma and, and kind of the way he carried himself and his ring gear and all that stuff when I was real young uh, loomed very large in my uh, in my history. So those are the guys. But right now I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jack Briscoe. I just um, I just loved uh, the realism that he brought to what he did and his technical skills. Yet even with all the technical skill, he still sold like a pro wrestler is supposed to sell. And um, I just thought he was great. Yeah love watching his matches i think that's a great choice yes um yeah. and uh the next one is do you have a favorite opponent that you had over the years mm. Mm. i should have thought of these i should have anticipated this right um <laughs> man um so many of those matches were cool i'm i'm gonna I'm going to say just for for historical purposes, um, I'm I'm going to go with Stan Hansen, just <laughs> just because of of where he sits in the history of, of of our our sport, you know, both in Japan and here in the United States, and yeah. and the uh, the legend and the respect that, that people have for that guy, <clears throat> that I'm I'm really proud that I got to spend a couple minutes working with him. Awesome. Uh, is there a one match in your career that you had that you would say was your favorite match performance that you, you were ever a part of? Um, no, again, probably should have thought of that, right? Um, <laughs> nah, there, there's, there's so many that have great moments that I, that I 
look back on and just, uh, you know, ah, it's a tough one. I know, it's it's a, tough. It's a really tough one. Um, I, I can't think of one off that. I don't want to slight anybody, <laughs> but um, no, nah, I, I took something from all of them and I learned something from all of them and um, they were all good. Uh, the two matches I had, well, actually I had three, I'll say. The three matches, one was on, two were on TV uh, that I had with uh, the late Sal Belomo. Salvatore yeah. Belomo, who was a WWF guy back in the 80s and then was with us as a very different kind of character in the yeah. early days of ECW. Um, yeah, I got to have some some really fun matches with him where I got to show some personality got in some offense but also you know had to do some cool selling for him and um they were both really good yeah and then we did one private event together too that uh, that was a lot of fun that nobody saw but so awesome yeah um moving away from wrestling now do you have a favorite book i'm not much on books i like uh periodicals you know i'm a magazine guy i always have been uh i read books for school when i had to but um let's say um let's say i mean i don't know i read some some you know some of the wrestling books like luthez's autobiography uh hooker yeah. that was a good one yeah. um and billy robinson's book i read um a lot of them i haven't caught up with yet like all the cool books that mcfoley wrote and uh and shout out to McFoley, who was always so kind to me. And uh, yeah, anyway, so yeah. Um, awesome. No, I hate to say it. I know it makes me sound illiterate, but I'm really not <laughs> a, a book guy. <laughs> That's okay. I, don't, I don't really have a favorite book. Uh, not a problem. And I would recommend checking out uh, McFoley's books because they, they are oh, yeah. really I mean, funny. I know about them and Jericho's <laughs> books I know are great. I just I haven't uh, I just haven't gotten around to them quite yet. That's OK. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show, Doc? I should, right? Um, even even one maybe you had as a kid or something like that. Yeah. Um, something else i had not thought about carl you're, you're getting me man uh, i'm sorry Don. um um <laughs> other than wrestling right um <laughs> yeah let's say um there was a uh there was a tv show it was like saturday night live but like sort of a junior version of it and it was called fridays in the right. states okay and yeah. And the cool thing about Fridays, I mean, just like SNL, they would have live music performances, but they always just seem more like loose and crazy. And I remember, um, again, you know, I'm really old, uh, but seeing The Clash on there, uh, wow. who are heroes, heroes of mine, and The Cars and The Pretenders, heroes of mine, um, that played live on this show. Uh, so they did some crazy sketch comedy. Um, I can't even, the only guy on there, I think that went on to be famous at all was, um, the guy who played Kramer on Seinfeld, the guy with the crazy hair, Michael Richards, yep. Michael Rich, right. That I think Fridays was his first big oh, thing. Okay. He was part of the, it was like an ensemble cast, right. That did skits yeah. and stuff. All right. But yeah, that I'll say that because they had the best 
live music performances on there. Stray Cats were on there. Like all the cool punk and new wave stuff that SNL wouldn't necessarily have, they had. So Right. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with that. Excellent. And did, do you have a favorite film? <laughs> um, Hard Day's Night, Beatles. Excellent. Great choice. Uh, do you have a favorite musical artist or band? Um, that's uh, evolved a little bit over the years. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say Springsteen probably is, uh, has probably been my biggest inspiration as far as, uh, live performance and songwriting. But I mean, I love, I listen to everything and there's a lot of people that I love. I'm, you know, again, my time, the stuff you, you, fall in love with when you're a teen and stuff like that tends to stay with you as your favorite. I find for most people, but I'm always looking for new stuff. Um, you know, I play classic rock out in the club, so I know all that stuff and I love it, but I'm, I'm a big punk and pop punk fan. So uh, Elvis Costello and everybody since, you know, that does that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker. I'm just a sucker for that. Just to like, like good, Good melodies, but with like crazy um, energy, you know, people thrashing around on stage. I, I dig that. But I like everything. Though. I'll, I'll mellow out, listen to the Grateful Dead, and, you know, whatever. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, getting away from the arts now, we've only got a couple more here to go. Uh, do you have favorite food? Uh, pizza. Excellent choice. A very popular one on the I show. I didn't have to hesitate there. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? No, well, in our area, there's a place called Wawa that usually is a 24-hour place, and, and you know any place in Pennsylvania and Jersey and uh, environs, you'll find that. Um, certainly, everybody will tell you Cracker Barrel if you're really on the road. But again, I didn't, you know, I didn't spend all that much time out there, and um, uh, you know, on on the big trips, so. Um, I would say within the, the several hundred mile radius of, of home base for me, it's, it's our local Wawa convenience store. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite beverage? Uh, wild Cherry Diet Pepsi. Very nice. I like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The second last I don't one. Drink, you know, I've, I've been playing yeah. bars since I was a teenager and I, and I was never a drinker, you know. I think maybe I was exposed. I was exposed to all of the various effects of, of yeah. alcohol on people early. <laughs> yeah. And um, somehow I just decided it was not where I was headed. So no, props to you. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> uh, second last one here, Don. Uh, this could be considered the naughtiest one of, of this segment. Favorite <clears throat> female body part. You see a good looking lady. Now, where will you where will you look to first? Uh Backside. Excellent. I I'm I'm a butt guy from way back. Um not not necessarily like big not like necessarily like Kardashian size, right. you know what I'm okay. saying? It has to it has to be appropriate for the rest. <laughs> of course. But I find that that's um aside from everything else, I have to I have to check that out and see what's what's going on back there before <laughs> I can formulate a final opinion 
<laughs> Not that anybody cares about my opinion, and certainly no women should care about my opinion. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's it. I one of the ways I got through all those years at the gym, doing you know half hours on the stairmaster, was making sure I was behind other people on the stairmaster. Where I could <laughs> make make those studies and observations, and it never got old. So I'll just leave it at that. No, I find it admirable, and that's the kind of study that I would do as well. So. <laughs> Yeah. No problem. Um, and, well, and by the way, everyone, every time somebody says that as the answer, I have to let them know that uh, it's also Mr. Don Morocco's answer was. Oh, okay. Okay. So Don, another another veteran who was uh, very very good to me. Yes. Much appreciated. Very, yeah. He was yes, cool. He's, he's and, a very and, nice man. Yeah. There's um, a great picture. Um, the December ninety nine. The December ninety four. It wasn't Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It might have been the Wrestling Insider, one of the one of the after magazines, okay. right? Uh, by the way, I'm, I got to do it. Shout out to Bill After, who's who was a friend to me early on in my career for no particular reason except we share a goofy sense of humor and um, gave me some opportunities that, again, realistically, I don't think I deserved for where I was at the time, and and that guy. Um, I owe him a lot. So, um, and we're still we're still buddies to this day, and and are in touch on occasion to say hi. And great guy. And so, shout out to him. But anyway, I'm in in that magazine. There's they did like a an article about me for some reason, and <laughs> there's a great picture of of Morocco holding me up in, in a vertical, which I think he held for like a minute. Um, and it's just a great picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. So that's all. Excellent. No, cool. And uh, the last one here for the segment of the favorite things. Don, do you have a favorite curse word? Um, I say what the fuck a lot. So I guess it would have to be fuck, which is Very such good. an all-purpose word um, and carries so many different meanings. And uh, many of those meanings are very meaningful to me. So um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go with that for now. Again, that <laughs> evolves. That evolves over time. But and now, you know, of course, everything gets abbreviated, right? So what the fuck became WTF for everybody, right? You see that all the time. And now I hear people just going, "The fuck?" Like <laughs> yeah. like just F U like just like the and F U. So that's <laughs> that's what it's come to. So maybe the fuck is where it is for me now <laughs> very cool answer don and and i want to thank you so much for taking the time to to sit down and, and talk about your <laughs> life talk about your career i had so much fun so many great stories you're a great storyteller uh and yeah. i want you to know that you know right here all the way over in the most isolated city in the world perth western australia you Dang. reached that far and you got a fan all the way over here so well, i think that, that's that that is crazy. I, I, I watch videos of uh, Springsteen playing in, in Perth and uh, he gets over to Australia and, and his big thing, just like you were saying the other day about the summer over there. Uh, he goes, uh, you know, he finishes a song and, and like, everything's quiet. He goes, why is it so damn hot over here? <laughs> so, um, it's a nightmare. Yeah, man. I, I, hope, I hope things cool off for you. I figured I figured you were, you know, participating in the Australian Open. Isn't that going on right now? Oh, I don't watch the tennis. Nah. <laughs>
some some good backsides going on in that too. The, the ladies play, but anyway, well, maybe I should check um, it out then. <laughs> it's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. But if you're the earlier rounds, usually the anyway. I'm going to stop before I get in trouble. But um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it, and and anybody that watches this, uh, you should know that Carl was after me to do this for about 28 years, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it it took a long time. And I apologize. I'm Please even the fact that. The fact that this worked at all is is one of the great achievements of my life. So, um, but I, I appreciate your interest. I do thank Bay for uh, you know for hooking this up, and um, you know you know where to find me. Cool, bro. Yes, no, it's been great, and and it's been worth the wait, Don. So thank you so much again for your time, my friend. My pleasure. And Have a good morning out there for joining us here on the Insiders Edge podcast. I'm California. This is my good friend, Mr. Johnny Allen, and we will see you down the road. Thank you. <laughs>